0: Uh, Abraham's record alone in Romans 4 so now we know what Paul just said about Abraham isn't true Paul knew what he said about Abraham wasn't true but what he's doing is he's saying he leads us to the fact it's not for Abraham alone but also for us and then he says this is the record of Jesus Christ who if you believe in God who put Jesus on the cross and took our sins wounds and lies and raised him from the dead to make us right with God then guess what you get this record. And what does Romans 5, 1 say? Therefore, because we have been justified with God, we have peace with him. This is to bring us peace. So we want peace in the judgment. So we have a choice. We can either uh, have Jesus' truest, deepest identity for me based on everything he's done for me, or identity based on what I've done wrong or what others have done to me. I get a choice. And in the judgment, what's gonna be revealed? Did I accept Christ and what he did for me, or did I focus on myself and what I've done or what others have done to me? That's why we we are in the judgment. We are not the primary center of the judgment. We are so self-centered that we put ourselves in the center of the salvation story. We are secondary to the salvation story. It's going to be the record of Jesus that's at the center of the great controversy that answers the questions about the character of God. We come along and we make a decision to trust that record or reject that record. To receive that record or to reject it Two lies there's many but two key ones Can this be true for me and how does this grace go Jesus who knew no sin was made to be my sin in other words He took my sin nature to death on the cross and we don't have time to go into that right away But Satan often whispers to people in first-person language. This is too good to be true Therefore, it's not it's true for others, but not for me I have people tell me this. So I can try and talk them out of it, which isn't going to work, or I can say, can we talk to God about that and ask God what he wants to know? So I'm bringing God in and then the Holy Spirit is a wonderful counselor, not me. So I'm bringing people into the presence of God so God can tell them what God wants them to know about that thought, it's true for others but not for me. Okay? So. Uh, what's it like to begin thinking about, just thinking about it, some people it's too difficult to receive, but think about re- receiving Jesus' perfection, his purity, his faith, is your record in the judgment. And I just wanted to know, is this, does this seem too good to be true, or is it the best news ever? And do you want fear-based bad news about the judgment? The judgment is the best message we have, that Jesus took our judgment on him, took it off of us. And the devil wants me to try and do god's part that god has already done 2000 years ago that is a setup for failure for living on a cycle of sin and forgiveness so i'm either going to reject what god has already offered and what he's done in christ or i'm going to choose to work hard and i'm going to choose to work hard to change myself or criticize others when i fail to gain victory in my own life or i'm going to receive what god has already offered Choosing to continue receiving his finished work daily in my own life and offering Jesus' victory to others. We ended on Hebrews 10 14. We have already been perfected. God has already perfected those who are being made holy or sanctified, being made. So there's an ongoing process. It's not cheap grace. I have to be choosing to grow and receive this love and grace daily. I don't get it. It's uh, just, it's not a one and done thing. It's not cheap grace. Okay, so the question is whose record whose movie is playing in your life? What was done to you or what you've done yourself or what Jesus has done for you? Many people live their lives being defined by what was done to them. I spent years doing that I wasted years of my life drinking and drugs being defined by what was done to me. I had a PhD in self-pity no academic credit for it Um, in fact I had a scholarship to college my freshman year, and I gave it up so I could go drink and do drugs and major in my PhD in self-pity. I got no academic credit. When God brought me out of that, guess who got to pay for my college? I did. Okay. So many of us have been harmed by others, yes, and now we're harming ourselves because we're focused on, we have a laser beam focus on what was done to us. I tell people what happened to you was wrong. You have a right to be hurt and angry. You have a responsibility to let Jesus heal you and set you free. People like number one and two. They don't like number three. But what's the alternative? You live life with bitterness and anger defined by the person who harmed you. So guess who's still in your life? Guess who has living rent-free in your head? The person who hurt you. The ex-husband, the ex-wife, the mom, the dad. So we have to make a choice. The enemy wants you to play a story every day about what was done to you. So, if God is this good, will I run to God or away from God? If God's really willing to rewrite my record, will I run to him or away from him? My behavior would be, I'm running to him and saying, search my heart, try my thought, reveal any sinful way in me to lead me in the everlasting way. So there's a behavior component. If I really believe this, I'll go to God. I won't avoid God and I won't cheapen the cross. So here's Abraham's story, lying about Sarah two times, sleeping with a teenager, starting a 4,000 year old war, laughing in unbelief in his heart after God promises Sarah a son. This is the first half of forgiveness and this is kind of the way we've taught it. God wipes out all the black marks. My question is, is the absence of sin the same as the presence of perfection? And the answer is no. Now you got a whiteboard. Now you, now it's wiped clean. But Jesus said you have to be perfect like my father. So the only way to get into heaven is to have perfection. I don't have it, so I receive it from Jesus. Praise God for Hebrews 10.10, 10, where I'm sanctified forever. Hebrews 10.14, I'm perfect forever as I'm letting him grow me daily. As I'm letting him grow me daily. This is not cheap grace. Okay? So here's Abraham's life, his record that we've already looked at. And then guess what? Christ was made to be Abraham's sin. So Abraham was made to be Christ's righteousness. The righteousness of God in Christ. Okay? I call this gold standard of forgiveness. Now, the best gets even better in part two. I remember I told you about Sherry. She came to me and she had so much shame she couldn't tell me. So I said, let's identify with Christ, struggling to surrender his will, to receive Jesus' spirit of surrender to go to the next step. So she said her daughter had a miscarriage. Should that be grief or shame? Should be grief, right? So we know there's something more, so we had to pray the prayer again because she's still overwhelmed with shame and self-contempt. Then she said, my daughter's miscarriage, as we prayed again, the whole story came out, is punishment for an abortion I had 40 years ago. Can she be present with her daughter when her daughter's hurting from a miscarriage, when she's blaming herself for her daughter's miscarriage? No. So, see the collateral damage by the devil? Now, the, the daughter's going to say, Where's my mom when I need her? In my time of need. So, um, the belief behind her shame was, It's my fault. I'm a murderer. So, she confessed her sin from 40 years ago. She was already forgiven 2,000 years ago. But she confessed her behavior, not her beliefs. I want to say that again. She confessed her behavior. Not her beliefs. She's living with shame and self-condemnation. It's sitting there in the background. She loves Jesus She's in service for Jesus. Then the the miscarriage happens and boom she stepped on this minefield And I had the privilege of leading her to peace and freedom in Jesus Christ through the Romans 4 Jesus So Romans 4 is not just good theology. It makes a difference in the heart And here's what she said. Here's a heart. She loves Jesus but she says i'm a murderer it's my fault and then the negative strong negative feeling of shame comes out because of the abortion and here's what she said i'll never forget this in my head i know god wouldn't do this to my daughter so if she get if you give her a theological exam does she pass the test 100 percent in her head but new covenant is mind and heart heart and mind so She says, I know in my head God is not like that, but in my heart God's punishing my daughter for what I did. That's not biblical, by the way. Uh, So we take that thought, we take the negative thoughts about herself um, to God so she can get healing and peace. And when people struggle with abortion or they've done too much wrong, I bring them into Psalm 139 where David says, where can I go to get away from you? Uh, If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. The deaths it means sheol, or place of death. Can can we escape God's grace in an abortion clinic? If somebody murders somebody and there's a lot of murder going on with the riots right now, right? We had nine innocent children killed last weekend, okay? If those people are caught and they go to prison does that exclude them from God's grace if they choose to repent? By the way repentance is a gift. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's something we receive According to Romans 2 4, according to Acts 2, um, I mean Acts 5 and other verses. Uh, We're not saying it's right. They left the parents heartache and shattered. But being in an abortion clinic, being a murderer, doesn't preclude you from God's grace, does it? Because what can separate us from God? Nothing, if we choose to receive it. Nothing, if we choose to receive it. So I like to begin with Scripture, grounded in Scripture, and then turn Scripture into prayer. So she's carrying shame for 40 years because of the negative belief she received about herself defining herself by her abortion She loves Jesus. She asked forgiveness for the behavior But she didn't know about the lies and so Jesus suffers taking all of Sherry's sin, shame and sin and Negative beliefs that I'm a murderer. It's my fault into my death so she could be defined for everything I've done forgiving her for everything she did and did not know. Those are profound words. Did and did not know. Did Abraham know that he was starting a 4,000-year-old war? No. Did Christ forgive him for having sex with a teenager when he's 85 years old? Or did he forgive him for the unbelief that led to it and 4,000 years of consequences beginning with Hagar and Ishmael? Which is he forgiven for? All forgive, meaning their sin, so it's not cheap grace, for he doesn't know the Pandora's box he's opening. What are Adam and Eve forgiven for? Taking the forbidden fruit to behavior or forgiven for everything they did and did not know that would lead to Cain killing Abel and opening up a Pandora's box for this world. How much forgiveness are we teaching people is there? How much are we helping them to receive for their behavior or everything they did know, everything they did not know, all the collateral damage? Jesus is a full service savior. I love those words, Father forgive them. They're sinning against me. He's not minimizing it, but they don't know what they're doing. They don't know the spiritual consequences and losses they're going to they're pay. And some of these people will be lost for eternity. What did Stephen pray when he's being stoned? Father, Jesus, don't hold this sin against him. It was answered in Paul. I think Stephen's peace drove Paul crazy because he was a rageaholic. And it set him up to be converted. And then if you look at Paul's sermons, they're Stephen's sermons. He plagiarized them. Same message. So... Jesus takes all of the loneliness, you know, as a, as a 16 year old as a teenager By the way, she's lonely. She thinks if I have sex with him, then he'll be around and I won't be lonely She gets pregnant. Is she more lonely or less lonely? She's more lonely. So Jesus takes all the sex outside of God's will all the abortion shame self-hatred. I'm a murderer everything He wipes it out, but you can't stop there because remember It's not an absence of sin that gets us into heaven. We have to be perfect like our father in heaven. So we need his perfection. So let's look into the vault and see God's gold standard of forgiveness for Sherry. Now she has a record of being perfected forever, always faithful, always hopeful, always pure. This is the only record that gets her into heaven. And here's the good news. Paul says this record in Romans four is not for Abraham alone but also for Sherry as Sherry trusts God that he took her sins wounds and lies and losses, shame and self-hatred put it on the cross raised him from the dead to justify or make her right with God okay let's look at it another way so um, the behavior is there we're not minimizing the behavior but guess what we're going to take the belief, it's my fault, I'm alone, I'm murdered. We take it all to the cross, and we end up with a pure power that's available only at the cross. There's no other place you can get this. And remember what we said in part one? What did Carl Manager say? If these people could learn they were forgiven, receive it in their hearts, 75% of them would leave the psych ward. Unforgiveness, being unforgiven, sin, shame, self hatred, is haunting people and stealing their freedom, and they're living in psych wards. We as Christians, can offer the whole gospel and bring them out of that darkness if they're willing, okay? Now, here's another way of saying it. Sherry, Satan's identity for Sherry, she's alone, she has an abortion, she is a murderer, and her daughter has miscarriage and shame. This is Satan's identity for her. And many of us listening and watching understand this because we understand that Satan's identity for us is based on what we've done in the past or what others have done to us. But this isn't the identity Jesus has for us. Here's the identity she has. In Jesus, perfect parent, perfect love, perfect purity, beloved child of God. You can't get this out of her life. You can only get it out of the life of Jesus. So now we've gone from Jesus' story to Abraham's story to Sherry's story. We're wanting to make this practical. Is there anything keeping me from receiving my truest, deepest identity in Jesus Receiving his purity, his perfection, his surrender, his righteousness. Can I say to God, this is too good to be true, if you don't release this from my heart, and replace this with the Romans 4 record and Jesus' peace, I'll never have peace. Can we say that to God? You know, the perfect prayer in the Bible is when the father comes to Jesus, his son's thrown himself in the fire, his disciples can't do it, cast out demons, and he says, Lord, I believe enough to come to you, help mine unbelief. Can I come to Jesus as I am, not having to be more than who I am? Or do I have to come and pretend with Jesus that I have more faith than I do? Can I come to Jesus and say, I believe enough to be here, I don't fully believe you can do this for me. Will he turn you away or will he welcome me with open arms? See, he's, he's just wanting an honest conversation. He's not asking me to try and be who, more than who I am. You know how we got into the sin problem? Satan tried to be more than who he was and he got Eve to try and be more than who she was. You know what he's doing in the church today? Even in our prayer life? Trying to get us to be more than who we are. That's a huge burden for us to carry. God lifted that off of Sherry. Uh, Six months later, she lived in a neighborhood near one of our other members who didn't know her story and said, tell Paul I'm still doing well. See, when God heals the heart, when the truth sets you free, you're free indeed. Now she can think about it Did she she forget about her abortion? No, the difference is when she references her abortion and Satan brings it up, she defaults to this is what God has done for me. God has fully forgiven me. I've been forgiven for everything I did and did not know. See, is your reference point what Jesus did for you or what you have done or others have done for you? And if your reference point is what you have done or what others have done, come to God and say, God, my reference point is what others have done to me or what I've done to myself, and I'm wallowing in self-pity, bitterness, anger, shame, and fear. I can't get out of this. So I'm here, and if you don't do anything, I'm hopeless. Can God handle that prayer? Is he falling off his throne? No, he's saying, thank you for being honest. Now we're having a real conversation. You're not pretending. This is really good news. This is what happens when Jesus' story covers our story and moves from the head to the heart in prayer and discipleship. It wasn't, I'm not saying a one-time prayer. I'm saying God wants to walk with us, disciple us, heal us from the inside out. The solution is a new heart, not an improved one. So let's ask a couple of questions, righteousness by faith questions. Um, Who's the power source in Sherry's life? Is she or is the savior? The savior is. How do we know? Because she couldn't do it. And we use language that honors the savior's finished work. What does the change in Sherry's life say about God's character? Is she receiving Christ's finished work or trying harder to do what she's unable to do? She's receiving the finished work of Christ. She's even receiving his spirit of surrender to get to the story behind her shame. It's Jesus at every step of the way. And is it making Sherry more interdependent with Christ in the body of Christ or more interdependent? I ask these three questions about any theological statement that's made. And they need to match up with all three. Now, are you willing to identify with Christ Becoming all your sins and failures shame loneliness and emptiness and Receiving the fullness of his forgiveness the fullness of his forgiveness for everything you did know and everything you did not know I Want you to get the fullness of his forgiveness. He provided on the cross What difference does it make to move from seeing Abraham's story rewritten with Jesus story to Sherry's story to inviting you To let Jesus rewrite your story Now we want to look at Um, Another part of Romans 4 and you can open your Bible follow follow along because we saw in Romans 4 He always hoped always had faith always believed fully convinced. There's only one problem with that It wasn't true in any way shape or form. It wasn't always He had ups and downs like you and me But God credits him or imputes him with the righteousness of Christ because he trusts Christ. So What is the character of God? That Paul describes in Romans 4 that gives Paul permission to radically rewrite Abraham's record with Jesus' perfect record of faith, hope, and trust, and righteousness. And outrageously say it's not Abraham's record alone, it's also our record. And offer the same perfect record of Jesus' faith, hope, and trust to us. It's a very specific characteristic of God. And we started in verse 18, so let's go back one verse, when God says... um, Abraham's the father of the faithful and the key characteristic is Abraham God calls things that are not as though they are or the King James things that do not exist as though they are So God has the right to say Abraham's record in the human record the Old Testament record does not exist But in the heavenly record I get to say this is Abraham's record So the answer is still in Romans 4. We haven't even left Romans 4 to find this characteristic now, let's, based on God calling things that are not as though they are, let's look at these verses again. God calls Abraham's record of faith, always having faith, hoping against hope, and we know that's not true. He calls it something it's not. You know why? Because he's depending on Christ's righteousness, not Abraham's. Is that good news for Abraham? Is that good news for you and me and Sherry? I'm so thankful God's not relying on my record. He's re- relying on the record of Jesus. Jesus. Okay, then what does he do with verse 19 when he says he always had faith? Um, We know that's not true, so he's calling that something it's not. He says he always believed, and actually his faith he did not unwaver, and he grew stronger. Did Abraham go stronger in faith? Genesis 17 and 18. God says, hey, you're going to have a son. Change your name. Change your wife's name. Call the boy Isaac. You know what he does? A few chapters later, in between Isaac being born... He sells his wife out again, says have sex with that man to save my life. Do you want Abraham coming and doing a seminar on how to be a good husband next week? I think not. I think not. But God's covering up because he learned to bring his sins and not protecting his wife and sleeping with Hagar to God and he finally trusts God and puts his son on the altar. But all this is about Isaac being born. So he calls that something is not because it says he's fully convinced. Or fully persuaded can we get out of Abraham's record ever being fully persuaded no that's good news isn't it because now we have to go to Jesus' record and he says by the way this isn't Abraham's record alone it's also for all of us who choose to believe in the same God Abraham did so the story tells you it's not Isaac on the altar and then he gets credited or imputed his righteousness now he says Abraham's record is jesus life record so before 18 19 20 and 21 our paul's way of describing a god or abraham believing in a god who calls things that are not as though they are i used to read romans 4 and see isaac on the altar i did because i brought my culturally conditioned attitudes to the bible but then i started memorizing the whole chapter and um, I said, wait a minute, 18, that, I can't get that out of the Bible. That, something's wrong there. Maybe I'm missing something. But, you know, when I'm memorizing, I'm saying the same verses over and over again, right? And I'm a slow learner, so I'm saying it over and over again, day after day, and I'm going walking and memorizing Romans 4. I said, wait a minute, 19's wrong, too. You can't get, that is not in the Old Testament story. That's wrong. So then i'm getting curious what about 20 what about 21 i'm going this is getting worse not better as i'm bringing my culturally conditioned attitudes into the bible but then i get to verse 23 and 24 and 25 and i go oh it's not abraham's story so i'm suggesting that the judgment message is the most positive message we have it is the most powerful message we have when christ is in the center of the great controversy and the judgment And We are secondary to it And it reveals that we have received everything Christ has done for us What did Jesus say in John 25? There's two judgments and some of us are going through the judgment of life So you will go through the judgment, it's just going to be the judgment of life is God wanting us to have peace Is this a God we can run to with our sins wounds and lies or is this a God we have to avoid and keep at a distance? Do a dance with I'm suggesting that we have a God who's so powerful that he not only deals with the sin problem with forgiveness with Christ becoming our sins and the guilt and shame and the way we've been sinned against suffering healing us and rising from the dead to make us right with God to rebuild that broken bridge to restore that broken relationship but he does one better he actually takes Christ's perfect record and he puts it over ours. And again, this is not an accounting gimmick. It's a revelation that you and I get up every day and we choose to receive the righteousness of Christ. If I'm struggling to trust, I receive his trust. If I'm Sherry, I receive his spirit of surrender to go to the next step. Not her surrender, but Jesus' surrender. In fact, I think that's the first time I ever prayed with somebody. I was sitting there praying, not first time I ever prayed with somebody. That's the first time the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, Don't you dare try and talk her into telling you what. You can get her to do it through your own human wisdom. Because she trusts you, she likes you. That's why she's here. Don't you dare do that. You invite her to identify with Jesus and receive his spirit of surrender. So now it's not my work, even in talking with her, it's Jesus' work. I love this approach. Because it's not my job to fix her. But am I blessed by her getting healing and freedom? Her faith grows, but who else's faith grows? my faith grows. So I'm inviting you in to the most powerful positive message we have, the judgment message of God that he's dealt with the problem of sin and suffering and he's rewritten our record so we can have peace with God. Or I'll close with Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified, we have peace with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this powerful message. May it go to our heart and our mind And where we're tempted right now to say this is too good to be true because we're focusing on ourselves or too good for others, give us the gift of coming to you with our negative thoughts and thanking you that you're releasing them and replacing them with the power of your peace and your truth in our minds and hearts so we can receive the positive power of your judgment message with Jesus in the center. In Jesus' name, amen.